You know, I was thinking about some of us have a specific kind of personality that when, when we believe we're right, when we are absolutely sure that we're right, we will, we will take a stance, whether it's politics or sports. And so some of us, well, I don't know if I should raise hands. We might have a fight here. But anybody willing to admit at the risk of forfeiting their salvation, they're a Patriots fan. Oh, we only have one non-Christian here. Um, the only reason I would ever watch the Super Bowl is to watch the Patriots lose. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Anybody a Philly fan? Anybody? Any? Oh, wow, you guys are even better. Anti-Patriots is good, but Philly fans... That's, that, that's close to being a Patriots fan. No. We will get in these arguments. Have you guys ever seen someone arguing over something that just simply doesn't matter? From the outside, you're looking at it, but they're going, you know, yes, they absolutely should win, and, and, and they're, they're fighting, and they're arguing about it. And you're looking at it, you're like, man, next week this isn't going to matter, so why are they fighting about it? Why are they arguing about it? And the sad thing is, is that next week, the persons that they were ripping the face off of, they don't even talk. Because they took something and made it so important that they forgot what really mattered. And they felt like these things, these surface things, if you think of an iceberg, the top of an iceberg is what we see, it's what we interact with, it's what causes problems. So we think. Realistically, the problem with the iceberg is all the way down deep, 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 deep. And as a church, as Christians, especially in America, we spend a lot of time just chopping away at the top of that dirty, ugly iceberg. And we miss the fact that Jesus said in Luke 17, listen, temptations to sin are always going to be coming. They're always going to be coming. You've got, you got to learn to deal with that. He said, really, the judgment's coming for the one who's causing those temptations. And it's, and it's, it's, it's dangerous for us to get caught up in having so much anger about the symptoms when God gave us a solution to the deep, deep down problems in the iceberg. You never get rid of an iceberg by just cutting away the top because what happens? It just floats up higher and higher and higher and higher. Sin will find a way to happen. If we get rid of all the things we don't like, you know, we need to get rid of gross, you know, radio shows. Well, they'll put it on TV. We need to get rid of gross TV shows. They'll put it on expensive packages. Well, we need to get rid of the expensive packages. Then they'll give it away for free on YouTube. We need to get rid of YouTube and make GodTube. Don't even get me started. There's so many ways that we try and get rid of the symptoms of sin by just replacing it with gooder things. And it's dangerous to do that because the solution isn't being good. The only sin that Jesus talked about that he came to deal with was the sin of rejecting him as creator. But that's a big deal. That's a big deal. I, I love, and I read through, we're going to start the book of 1 Corinthians. And you'll see our, our logo for this series is somewhat facetious. It's, it's a little bit, um, I talked with a friend of mine. I texted him a picture of it, and he doesn't come, come here, but I texted him a picture, and I said, I said, hey, man, what do you think about this? And I said, you know, this logo here, could you click it back? I don't know what's going on with this again. <laughs> I'm struggling with this. This logo here, he said, I really like it. And then he texted me back. He goes, never mind, I don't. And I, and I said, why? He goes, because I, I thought it was kind of cool. And I'm like, yeah, how to play church. And I'm like, oh, wait, that, that's, that's the problem with us. Is that we end up knowing how to play church very, very well. In fact, even people who have only visited a church once or twice know, well, you go in, you get awkwardly greeted, you sing a couple songs that you don't know, and it's kind of weird because people are making noises, and then some guy talks for a while, and then you, like, hang out and act like you know each other. We know how to play church. We do. But what I want us to realize is that when, when this letter was written, Corinth was a phenomenal place. It was, it was, it was literally... Exactly like what America has been the past 100 years. You had to go through it to do all kinds of work in other countries. If you wanted to get from one gulf to the other, instead of going around the Peloponnesian Peninsula, you could cut across here. And 
Romans were smart. So were the Greeks before the Romans destroyed the entire place. They said, hey, everybody's got to go through here, so let's use it to our advantage. Kind of smart. As a businessman, that's exactly what I'm doing. If I'm trying to push a religious agenda, that's exactly what I'm going to use. But here's, here's the thing that I struggle with. If Corinth really is a hotbed for everything, and you'll see that point up there. I'm going to keep trying, but I might need your backup. Corinth was a hotbed for everything. Everything. The Jews loved it. Why? Because they could push Judaism. All the other religions loved it. Why? Because they could push their religions. Because everybody who needed to move between the center of the Roman Empire and to other parts all around towards Asia had to go through there because water was going to be a lot quicker than going across land and getting pillaged and robbed. When you read Acts chapter 18, you see Paul, who had gotten to Corinth and spent time there, and you already saw this religious argument happening with the Jews that were there. You saw this religious argument going back and forth where they're not doing it how we want to do it and so on. And then after, after this court case happens, the Jewish guy who was trying to cause a problem gets beat up by the Greeks and the Romans because they're like, dude, you wasted our time with all your religious junk. And the guy who was supposed to be the judge sat and watched it. Because he says, listen, this is, this is useless to me. I'm sick of listening to these religious people fight. Now tuck that one away. See, Paul, when he would plant churches, and it's not because Paul was so amazing, it's because of the gifting that God put in Paul and people like him. When they would plant churches, there was strategy involved. Just like the business world copies the ministry world, and strategic placement of businesses and, and, and stores and signage and things like that, the church should follow the same model. It should very much follow the same model. Paul's heart in Corinth was for it to be a hub to transmit the gospel. Why not? You have everything there as an option except for the message of Jesus? Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to put the most high here. So he goes there to plant a church. You can read about it if you want some homework in Acts chapter 18. You can read about the church plants that happened there. And he saw it as a hub. And what I, what I liked about this, this visibility here is that it wasn't about, hey, we're going to go visit this area, this area of Corinth, and say, hey, we've got a great church you can go to. Come on down to Jerusalem where the mother church is. Come on down there and do that. The heart was not to create four walls, and thereby that's the church. No, Paul's goal was the gospel. You'll, we'll read it here in just a minute, halfway through 1 Corinthians chapter 1. His goal was the gospel. And there's temptation for us as Christians that we can get focused on the comfort inside our walls that we forget the hell that awaits those outside our walls. We do. We get so caught up in, in this, well, we need to make sure we do all of this the right way because, you know, Jesus needs to look good, and, and, and I love the people here, and I love the church here. I had someone come meet with me this week that doesn't even go here, doesn't really even go to a church, but they visited a church, and they're a friend of mine, and they said, listen, man, I've never felt so awkward. I said, what was it? He goes, I went there, and I asked a question, and the, and the pastor responded to me laughing and said, well, of course, Jesus said that in Luke 6. This guy's never studied the scriptures before. The church was laughing at him. Now, praise God. Praise God for the hearts of the people that I've seen here. I love watching you guys hand Bibles to each other and love each other and say hi and make the introverts be like, ah, you're violating bubble space. And I love it. Violate every introvert you can here, okay? You have my blessing because I do it all the time. I'm married to one. But we get so caught up thinking that, that, that the work that God did on the cross is something that people should just automatically figure out. No, we have an enemy that's trying to hide it. And we come here inside these walls, mainly because it's minus two out, but the other reason we come in here is to gather together, encourage each other, worship our God together, and then say, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. It's very tempting, very, very tempting also to get caught up in some comforts, whether it's where we live or, or what it is that we're doing uh, for work or church. But the next point you'll see up here is that we can't abandon high population areas so we stop being offended. 
Think of what Paul and the church planters in Corinth had to deal with. Some theologians and, and people that studied believe this. I'm not sure there's enough evidence for it, but there were, at a minimum, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of temple prostitutes that walked around because the primary worship at that time was the God of sex and love. So Paul's not walking around in a town where it's like, hey, look, I can hear the Jesus music playing on the radio and everybody's wearing a Christian T-shirt and I love being around here because I'm not offended or anything. No, Paul's walking around going, wow, whoa, wow, whoa, okay, I got to look like this down the street. That's what it is. But what did he do? He's like, man, I got to get back to Jerusalem and get myself some church going. No, he said, this place needs Jesus. And it's tempting for us. I had someone ask me, you know, why, why did you, why do you stay in, in the area where you're at? Or why did you pick Wasilla? Or, or why did you pick somewhere else or whatever? And I'll tell you, my prayer had to do with a map. And I said, God, tell me where all these roads and highways come and where are the people going to be at? What's the traffic look like and all of that? Because I want to be a place where we're handing out the gospel and we hit as many people as possible with it. Fastest growing area in Alaska, right here. The most amount of traffic in Wasilla, right here. If you live on KGB, you can give me a grunting amen. It's terrible. And I think it's important for us to want to be into that because we can't be in the world and influencing it and injecting it with truth if we're not there. So Paul's vision for Corinth was the same as that. He's like, man, they're getting their religion out. They're getting their money out. And Corinth was so stinking rich, so rich. In fact, it was a, a lot of slaves came there because it was a make-a-name-for-yourself place. You would come to Corinth and you could have nothing and you could go ahead and do a few things with your hands and sell it and go, hey, here's you know, Jimmy's Little Idols or Jimmy's Little Food Stand or whatever, and you would be filthy rich within a year. And then the next part of it was they, they all love making a name for themselves. If you study different pictures and videos and history of Corinth, there's still plaques there from all the arrogance of, I put this rock here, my name is so-and-so. That, that's how pathetic the arrogance had gotten. And where do we see that? Pick a, pick a street name here. Pick a town hall building name. We do it here. We do it now in this country. We love to have our name on things. We love to. It's important for us to realize all of us need to look at our life and realize that when we think about church, and you'll see the next point up here, when we think about church, there's a temptation to view it is it something we do, a place that we go, a group that we associate with? But unfortunately, when you look at America, there's a whole lot of doing church, and we don't know how to be a Christian. Now, I'm not saying that as an accusation to each one of you individually. I'm a little partial to all of you guys here at RISE. But I will tell you, when we look at it as a whole, each of us, when we've talked to someone who's not a Christian or who has gone to church, we can see the response immediately. We've all done it. We've invited someone to church, and we go, hey, you should come to my church. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've done that before. I can show you the scars. We've all seen it. We've all felt it. But here's the issue, though. It's the only organization that, as a rule, people, when they're hurt by it, never give it another chance. Man. Because we don't stop eating when we eat a bad meal, right? We may not go to that restaurant anymore, but we'll go to another one. It's like, hey, Burger King always gives me a stomachache, so I'm never going to Burger King in Wasilla ever again. I learned that years ago. But hey, Wendy's has never hurt me. Not yet. It's, it's a long-term hurt, you know? Hey, high blood pressure keeps me warm, right? That was a joke. No, it's, it's, it's tempting at times. When I've talked with people who have been hurt by the church, to just shut off because we get offended. It's like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not what it's about. You should get over it. But no, 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 no. Realize that it's real. Because a group of people who may have not made it intentional, but they sure as, as, as the evidence of that person right there hurt them. So what do we do about that? We have to learn what it means to be a Christian. And what I love about what Paul says all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians is he talks about ways that we play church instead of being the church and being a Christian. 
he goes through all these, these things that say, you know, here's, here's what you guys are saying, and I love it. You can almost look at the book of 1 Corinthians. It's actually the second time Paul wrote to him. Paul got a letter back from the church in Corinth, and they're like, hey, Paul, i got to give you a status update, buddy, because this place has got a few issues showing up. Yeah, there's some cool things happening, but, man, we got some weird stuff happening. So Paul, the book of 1 Corinthians, here's what you can write in your notes or write up in the uh, margin of your Bible. It's Paul's Q&A Sunday. It's a very weird letter in some ways because Paul's doing a question and answer time. He answers questions that you don't see asked. He says, and, and about the, th- the topic of this, and he gives a doctrinal statement or, or, or guidance on what to do in life. So it's not an easy-to-read letter in the sense that, dear so-and-so, today this and this and this, and it flows. It's a little chunky, and you got to go between topic to topic to topic. But the theme of 1 Corinthians is very clear in that he's, a, he's looking at doctrinal issues and practical issues that come up in a church that's in a country or a place that has a lot of influence from other things. Now, I know we can't really relate to that here, right? Like, we don't have any influence. Like, everybody around us is a Christian. Like, everybody we know is in love with Jesus and madly focused on evangelism and foreign missions and, and everything, and, and, and no other priority in their life is anything but Jesus, right? We don't have that problem here. Okay, good. Someone gave me eyebrows. No, we do. We do. So it's important for us to look at how Paul is dealing with Corinth and the things he says. Because I was, I was talking with someone the other day about just the church culture in Alaska, and I said, you know, there's a Bible belt in Alaska, and right here is the buckle of the Bible belt of Alaska. And let me, let me just say, if you don't know me well enough, when I say the word Bible belt, that's demeaning. I do not say that's a compliment. Because I don't believe our job is to church people. Our job is to evangelize. People don't need church. They need Jesus. And the church is the gathering of those and the invitation of those to be part of that. Does that make sense? And that's where Paul's goal was. We'll see commands in here that unfortunately many of us, even in our past, and even myself, Paul gave commands to Christians in here, and we use it against nonbelievers when the context was not nonbelievers here. The context was us. So here's, here's what I want us to see. We'll just co- go through these really quickly. Here's a couple of ways all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians that Paul shows how we play church. Here's the first one. You'll see it up on the screen. He goes in in chapter 1 and talks about this church versus church mentality rather than a pro-gospel one. If you guys want to see something sad and hilarious, watch someone post on a Facebook group that says, hey, what church should I go to? And then get popcorn. Well, you should go to this church because we do this, and we do this, and we do this, and we do this, and we do this. You know what I do? I send them a private message. I say, listen, here's what we're about. Here's the teachings if you want to listen to it. It'd be awesome to see you. I'll look for your face if you come and leave it. And I've actually had someone send me a note back going, man, I'm so glad you did this. You're the only one that I checked out the website. I just found out we're moving down south. My husband's getting PCS'd out, so we can't come anyways, but thanks. It meant a lot. Not that I'm perfect, but sometimes we get in this church versus church. I saw two groups. It was a Baptist group and a non-denominational group arguing at one point going, well, we use hymnals. Well, we, we don't. You know, we believe that spirit works in this way. Well, we believe that that's a lowercase s spirit then. And it was this back and forth in a public forum. Go, Jesus. So we get in this back and forth thing. And, and, and we will do, it's nothing wrong with loving the movement that God has you a part of. I've had people say that, like, man, Joe, I'm just so in love with what God's doing here. It's awesome. And I love seeing that. But it's never a matter of one over the other. And if we see a problem with another one, we may be called to call that out. We may be called to say something about it. But we have to do it in a way that builds up and exhorts instead of just crushes and says, yeah, well, if you want to go there, that's fine. I'll see you on the way down while I'm headed up. That's the wrong mentality. Here's the next one. Next ways that we play church. We, we respond, this is Paul talking, we respond to sex by either ignoring the topics that make us uncomfortable or we just simply secretly indulge in them because you can't do that at church. You can't talk about that at church. It's not churchy to do those things. When we forget, and I remember my wife used to tell me from her upbringing, she had a very fundamental upbringing. She said she remembers she was at school and the pastor had talked about, you can never pray when you're in the shower because you're naked and that dishonors God. 
And my, my wife never made this, like, logical connection with it. Said you can't pray when you're sitting down on the toilet going to the bathroom. You can't do this different stuff. It's just it's dishonoring to him. And she never made the connection. I remember her telling me this, and I thought she thought my head was going to explode because I'm looking at this going like, he saw us naked way sooner than we ever even cared about being naked. He sees us naked right now. He sees everything that happens with us. Why does it matter? What's the difference? And I kind of went on about a, a one hour tirade and preaching session. She's like, Joe, trust me, I agree. Okay, this is one of those soda and chips things I needed to sit down for. But no, we, we get caught up in it. I remember, I remember listening to Bible studies and pastors that would go one extreme or the other, and, and, and they would never even talk about it or avoid it, or they'd get to a point where it was joked about, but then they'd get busted for some sort of sexual immorality, sleeping around or whatever. What Paul wants to attack in this is that there is a standard that God has for his people, for blessings, for strong marriages, for relationships that really make sense and transform this world. And we need to talk about it, and we need to do it. Here's the next way that he talks about us playing church. He says, actually, later on in chapter uh, 2 and and 6, he talks about accountability. And this is a hard one. Because there's one way we can, we can provide for the accountability by being around other people, by regularly attending a, a, a group of Christians where they look at us and go, hey, you're different today. What's wrong? What's up? You okay? There's accountability in that, in that consistency. There's accountability in that. And so one of the things that Paul brings up in chapter 2 and chapter 6 relates to us either providing for and actually saying, you know what? I haven't seen you around. What's happening? Not coming and smacking their face. I did a, a, a leadership class years ago that I was teaching, and one of the things we talked about, we did a role-playing exercise. And one person had a card, and it said, you're always late to church, but the reason is is that you're helping your elderly neighbors get packed up and go with you, and they're not Christians. And the leader said, you've got a person he's always late to church. It feels like they don't really care about what your mission is and the people here that need to be served at this church. You need to find out what's going on. And I loved it. I would pick perfect personalities. I'd pick a very passive, quiet person who would never fight at all, who was the person taking the people to church. And I'd pick the aggressive person who was super legalistic and judgmental and had his KJV in his pocket ready to hit you in the face. And he came up and he'd go, hey, Billy, so um, I've been to church because it's obviously, you know, Jesus isn't your priority. And he'd go, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, I've just been late a lot. But, well, you need to make it a priority. I mean, this guy, was ra- it was a role-playing thing. You, you need to make it a priority. It's like, okay, okay. And then it was over. It was like two minutes and it's, it's finished. Then another group gets up and we reverse those roles. And this guy sat down and he goes, hey, man, you all right? Everything okay? It's like you're always running late. Is everything all right? Do you need help with your car? Do you need help with what you're doing? Is there anything we can do? Can I move you to another shift maybe so you don't have to feel overwhelmed with it all? And then this guy here stopped. And he said, actually... I'm really having a hard time. My neighbors don't know Jesus, but they always are saying they want to go to church with me. And so I got to pack them up, and one of them's got a wheelchair, and we got to get them kind of moved out, and, and they've got all these things they got to deal with, and I, it, it's almost impossible, and I didn't want to make it a problem for you. So it was really cool to see the outcome of that because it, it, when he talked about accountability, when Paul talks about accountability, there's a restoration process that God wants us to do. And it's good to talk to our brothers and sisters and say, hey, how you doing? Because we genuinely care, not because, hey, you should be at church. We have 14 empty seats, and you should have been there. You should have been there. No, it's about wanting to be around and see our brothers and sisters and that accountability that's there. Here's the next thing. You'll see Paul talks about, and it's it's chapter 6, where he says, listen, you're seeking man's authority to resolve issues. You're getting caught up in getting your own. You need to focus on the main thing. You need to get your heart back on the main thing and not allow this running and whining because, well, I didn't get what I want, and I know that there's a legal system to fix this for me, so I'm going to go do that. He says, listen, you guys have the authority of God over your life now. Go talk to each other and resolve it. You know what the main thing is. It's it's the gospel. Why would you allow these fights to come up in between you? Get the main thing taken care of because in 100 years, guess what? In 100 years, it doesn't matter if he owed you 50 bucks. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. I remember getting frustrated over a guy. He borrowed $350 from me. 
I haven't seen it back to, the, to this day. And I remember my, actually it was my mom saying it to me. She brought me to a scripture. I was in high school at the time, and I let him borrow it as a friend of mine. I was very frustrated. Though. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's a, lot, that's a lot of money that I had saved up from cutting down trees and things like that. And she said, it would be better that you two went to heaven and all you had to pay was 350 bucks to get him there than to get your 350 bucks back because you forced him and you lost your witness for Jesus. And then, of course, I felt terrible. I think, Mom, you, I didn't come here for truth. I just wanted you to come and make me feel better about myself. We forget. We forget what the main thing is. And this is what Paul was talking about as far as playing church, is that they were, they were focused on the fact of their needs being met and not having God in charge. Next, he said, you know, the Corinthians playing church, that marriage was dishonored, and then they judged the world for their fornication and their divorce and their pornographic activities. You guys shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing this. We talked last week about how just in America, we, we, we twisted things a little bit and created marriage as this, this sanctifying activity that, well, you know, as long as a non-Christian gets married, then whew, they're better now. They're, they're sinning less. The problem isn't fornication. The problem is who's their God? And so Paul gets involved in this and says, listen, inside the church, you guys are acting just like you're, you're outside. There's no difference in this. You're just as caught up in the pornographic activities. Sure, they didn't have magazines and television. They just had to go look out their window. They had an entire pornographic uh, setup right there in the center of the town. The divorces, the sex outside of marriage, prior to marriage, all these things going on, rampant. And these were people who claimed to be Christians. And that was his, that was his problem, of what God had created that for. Next, you'll see that there was a claim to be in freedom. Some of these things works and then it doesn't work. We claim freedom in Christ, and then it would cause others to stumble. They're like, listen, man, I'm totally fine to be doing this. And then just doing whatever they felt like at that point. Now, the actions themselves, sure, some people have a much stronger conscience. They don't have an issue with certain things in their life, and that's awesome. But Paul talks about later on in the book, he says, listen, there are people that are just weaker. They have a lot of consequences. They have a lot of sin. They have a lot of guilt that God is working on, and they can't handle what you can handle. So get over yourself in love for those people. Just be careful. But then he talks to the other ones and say, listen, if you're caught up in something and you don't realize the freedom you have in Christ, wake up. Your religious status doesn't mean anything. I remember talking with someone one time and we were talking about alcohol. And I remember their comment to me and I said, yeah, you know, I remember these different beers and these different things like that. And they kind of looked at me, they're like, I just kind of looked and I said, oh, okay. They expected that their status would change with me because of that. I'm like, okay. So you don't understand what we're talking about then? Well, I chose not to. Okay. You're not going to get a status with me on that. Does, does Scripture warn us against overindulgence in that? Absolutely it does. Is there, is there sometimes that the world specifically chooses alcohol to change their mental status. Uh, yeah, it can definitely be abused. But is a glass of wine or a very quality craft brew? Now, if it's Curse Light, you definitely are not going to get my advocacy on there. But if it's a good home brew or a craft brew or something, I'm just joking with everyone here. There's no. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. There's something that we get caught up in where we overly attach certain things to spirituality. I'm telling you right now, if alcohol is a struggle for you, please do not ever get near it. But if it's not for somebody else, pray that it never becomes that for them. And share your testimony of your struggles and just be open about it. I'm not here to say you should or should not drink alcohol as a blanket statement. What I'm here to say is, is that some people do not have a conscience with it. Leave them alone, unless they're violating Scripture. 
And those of you that have a conscience where it's no issue to you at all, be careful with those that do because you don't know what they've gone through. You don't know. Be that accountability. You see a guy, I remember seeing a guy one time, and he came and told me a testimony of, of this same scenario. He said, listen, Joe, I really was rough on a guy for quitting on alcohol for so many years after he found Jesus. And he said, I went out one time, we had wings. I had, I had one beer, I was perfectly happy, it was a great beer. And he said, I brought my buddy along, and I just joked with him some. And at one point, he stopped, and he had four. He said, Joe, I was, I was so crushed. He said, I've never felt that terrible in my entire life. And he said, and exactly what Scripture says is what I did. I caused my brother to stumble. And I just, I'm getting goosebumps with it right now. He, he saw firsthand what happens when we don't care for our brothers, when we don't look at the situation and say, you know what, I don't know if this is something they can handle. And so why would I in my freedom hurt someone that I'm supposed to love unconditionally? I can't do that. I can't do that. There's total things that I've given up in my life just because I don't want anybody to stumble. I don't want anybody to ever get hurt. I don't want ever the name of Jesus to not get out perfectly, clearly, and cleanly because I just wanted to do something. That would be the worst regret I could ever think of having. And so this is what Paul's getting at when he says, listen, there's freedom, and we we can't just claim it and go, hey, you just don't know Jesus enough like I do. No, that's not the case. Next, when he talks about playing church, he goes through and he says, we judge others publicly for what we indulge in secretly. And that should be a separation between those two points, but I'll bring it up again. We think communion is just a church thing. Now, let me challenge you, because I was challenged by this. How many, don't put your hands up, don't even look at me with uh, any kind of grin at all. How many of you in the past six months have had communion in your own home? Think of this. It's nothing different about, we have carpet here, we have a ceiling, we have walls. What's different? Jesus is here. No, you're here. That's the only difference. He doesn't live here. He follows you when you leave. So it's important for us. And this is what he was saying. He's like, listen, this isn't something where you just gather together and you're just like, hey, you know, it's communion day. Great. What about last week at your own home? What about tonight at your own home? What about all these others? It says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. I think it's a great opportunity. Husbands and wives, pick a night sometime this week. We're going to talk about this a little bit. So if you don't do it now, you have another chance for homework. But take a night this week. Serve each other communion families. It's a powerful thing. But let me look at the the first point on there that Paul talks about that we judge others publicly for what we indulge in secretly. He exposes hypocrisy in the church. Man, two years ago, I had a guy who was an atheist. was at work, and we were chatting. And I shared how certain things didn't bother me. Certain illegal activities just didn't bother me because I just thought that the whole system around it all was stupid. And he looked at me, he's like, well, it bothers me. And he's like, besides, I thought you were a Christian. And immediately I'm just like, well, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. This is like a technical thing, whatever. He's like, if it's wrong, it's wrong, isn't it, Joe? That was a fun day at work. (laughs) Because what he exposed was that that there were things in my mind that maybe I had worked out and, and just never really started to bother me. But I realized that this man who clung to his morality because it was at least in his mind, some sort of saving grace. And even I myself didn't hold to it. And what, he, what Paul's calling out in the playing church part is that there were so many times that they would look like it, go, absolutely, you guys should never do that, ever. And then go home or go out with this friend or go here in this scenario and literally live like hell. And it was dangerous because what they were doing is they were, they were hypocrites. They couldn't give a testimony of their life following God. They could only give a testimony of their time at church. And that's useless. That's one hour in a very long week. Next, he starts talking about the, the minimizing or the misappropriation of the Holy Spirit working. Well, you know, you don't want to have the, the Spirit happening in these ways because that's uncomfortable. 
Or the other side of, this is absolutely the Spirit working. Yes, it is. And there's really odd things going on over here that don't really match what Scripture says. And he says, listen, you guys are going on either side of the extremes. The extreme is not come over here and run around. Let's install some trapezes here in the church so we can experience the Holy Spirit. Uh Uh-uh. Nowhere in Scripture. But the other side of it is is that, nope, nope, the Spirit isn't needed anymore. You know, you guys just need to be calm, and church should be boring and hurt. No. Absolutely not. We should be excited about our God. People should look at us and go, man, they're just like, they actually enjoyed life, and they got the same terrible things going on with them, and something keeps them going. And I'm not talking being fake. I'm not talking scotch tape on the side of your lips. I just, I'm so blessed. I love Jesus. Stop that. But look at the situation, and, and, and let sit in the middle, and let the Spirit work. Man, I'll tell you what, you want to know what, what really blesses my heart? And I know this sounds weird, but I'm a stinking Pentecostal. We need to clap more during worship, guys. This is ridiculous. We need to love our God and get excited for Him. There is so much to be excited about. We can't clap anywhere else. It just looks weird. But man, if we can be here, let's go for it. Can we do that? Next week, let's grow and clap. There we go. That's not for me. But I'm serious. There's, there's things a lot of times, and Paul was attacking this. He's like, guys, you're either wackos or you're weirdos or both. He's like, but you got you to pull back and say, this is how God wants to work. He does work, and he does it decently and in order because he's a God of order, and he's a God that will get the blessings and the honor. But if we're talking over each other, we're running around jumping from the tops of chairs, we say, the Spirit is moving, and I can't control it. He says, no, 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 guys. That's not how he works. He's never worked that way. Have you ever seen a prophet of old came down on him and he started convulsing on the ground and clucking? No, because that's not how God operates. The purpose of a prophet is to get the truth of God out, and the truth isn't going to come out if they're foaming and barking. And this is what Paul's getting at. The purpose of a prophet is to push the gospel. That's it, to get the truth of God out there. So the, he, he hits that area of playing church, and then the next part is he just takes a big hit, and he just goes, listen, you guys need to be the church. It's not an association. It's not a, it's not a cool logo. It's not a shirt. It's not a, yeah, I go here, or yeah, I do this, or yeah, this is what I'm part of, or what denomination are you? I love not answering that question. I love telling everybody what I do after I agree with everything they say about what they hate about church and Christianity. Because I do agree with it. And I think most of you guys say the same thing. You're like, I can't stand hypocrisy. You guys look at this going, yeah, this is exactly why I left God 10 years ago. Because we couldn't stand to see these things. It's not new. Still humans. So I think the challenge as I went through this was to see these things and realize that God is speaking to each of us. There's ways that we've played. There's ways that we're tempted to make this our strength, and it's not. It's not. And the last thing that he talks about, about playing church, as we kind of get to the end of the book in chapter 15, he makes it so clear that we forget that heaven is our home, not here, not here. It's tempting. It's very tempting to get caught up in making earth perfect for us. Jesus himself never said, he's like, you know what, guys, I'm making an easy chair for you. No, he said in this world you're going to have trouble. He said my kingdom is not of this world. It is other dimensional. It is outside of time and space. It does not even exist here. I'm going away. I'm leaving the physical realm and going away to prepare the place for you. He said I'm going away to prepare a place for us. He said I'm not going to be here preparing it for you. So if you stay here preparing it for you, you're not in my kingdom. You're not focused on what I'm focused on, he says. And that's what Paul gets at at the very end of the book. He he says, guys, make the connection here. Jesus didn't come to make the earth his home and his kingdom. He said his kingdom is not of this world. Now, does he work within us to make his kingdom happen? Yes. And that's the conviction that Paul brought around. He says, listen, you are the ones who are bringing the kingdom. You are the injection for the sickness in the world, he says. So now we have a complete overview. We just finished the whole book of 1 Corinthians. 
If you're not in 1 Corinthians yet, we're going to read one short section before we close today. First Corinthians chapter one. You'll see in there a theme. And the teaching today was kind of a mixture of an introduction and kind of a part one. And then the second part of it actually, I gave it the title, I love your body. All the guys are giggling. <laughs> yeah. I like coming here. Chapter one. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. There's speculation that Sosthenes was the guy that got his butt beaten and handed to him at the synagogue. So it's possible that Paul actually was part of his conversion to Christ, which is awesome. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord both theirs and ours. I want to highlight something, though. In verse 1, I, lo- I love seeing, I love seeing in verse 1 this message from Paul. Because one of the things that, that he highlights in here is verse 1 and 2 go through, is he talks about unity. He talks about the lost being found. He talks about leaders, in this case, being taken care of. And I, and I want to challenge us You'll see here in the, the next point, we need to never, ever stop praying. Go back to that one. Never stop praying and evangelizing our leaders. We need to realize that. It's tempting to just simply get frustrated with the people and the leaders around us and say, well, they're not what we want them to be. In fact, this year being an election year, it's very easy to do that. I don't think this governor, this mayor, this person's done anything right for this state or this country or this city or whatever it is. And we will badmouth them. And we will curse them with our words. And we will vote some way different to prove our point. And never once uttered a word of prayer. And what I love about this is Crispus, who was the synagogue leader in Corinth at the time, came to Jesus and started ministry with Paul. Sosthenes, most likely, based on all the literary study that I looked at this, Sosthenes was the synagogue leader, and he eventually comes to Christ. Paul's over there taking him out from the top down. That's killer. I want to do that. I told someone the other day, I said, you know, you've had an opportunity to meet and work with the governor. Have you had a chance to witness to him at all? And he looked at me like I had eight heads and I spoke another language. He said, oh, that's going to be a little bit hard. Why? Well, I can talk to my friends about it, but the governor, um, he's got two legs and pulls on his pants the same way you do, buddy. How have we done that? What about your boss at work? I don't want to get fired. Don't violate any rules and laws, guys. But I'm sure there's been plenty of opportunities for each of us to have those conversations. And I remember having a conversation with a couple of people about work that happened in Washington, D.C. And opportunities to actually, what their goal was, is evangelism on the hill. To evangelize those that are there. And if you've ever done any work with the federal government and you want to see empty shells of humans, go there. It is one of the most darkest, empty feelings you will ever feel when you shake hands with a senator or a representative. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But there's a lot of brokenness and lost people there. And what an awesome way to change this country from the top down. It's awesome. So never stop praying, because I see that testimony here about Sosthenes from Paul. The next thing I want us to realize is that verse 2 says that there is a specific audience that was being written to. There's a specific audience that he's talking to. And, you know, it's, it's tempting for us to look at Scripture and say, oh, look, it's written to me. Just throw that out because it's not written to you. Well, why would you say that, Pastor? I'm a Christian. Is your name the church at Corinth? Anybody here? Is that your name? Church at Corinth? No. Do you live at a street named Corinth? Oh, I do, Pastor. Okay, well, that one didn't work. Anybody here have that name? No. Well, well, should we not read it then? Of course we should read it. Because the same thing that's, if we find things in here that apply because of the, the context of where we live and it matching our own personal context, then God means it for us too. But we have to read this scripture as if it was written to the Corinthians. 
And I love this book because Paul is such a relevant person. It is an incredibly relevant book. There are things that are said here that do not make sense if we translated them literally for us today. There's no value at all. So we have to understand the relevance to the Corinthians to be able to apply it to our life. And we start, in Bible study, we start by knowing who is it written to, and then we know the context. I've said this before. If you guys picked up a letter, and I had written a love letter, a very sultry, steamy love letter to my wife, and one of the guys picks it up and reads it, you're not going to misunderstand that it ain't to you. Okay? Please? Okay, it's not to you guys. You pick it up, and you're like, Oh, wow, I want to, I oh my gosh, that's my dad or my pastor or whatever. It's like, oh, okay. I know it's not written to me, but what do you do? Well, I want to write to my wife like that. The wife picks it up. Well, I don't want my husband to talk to me like that, or maybe I don't want my husband to talk to me like that. Maybe you're not that way. That's the same thing we got to do here. He's writing to Corinth. What are the problems in Corinth? Who are the people in Corinth? What's the culture of Corinth? What's the system in Corinth? What's going on? We also have to realize that the context of these rebukes, these encouragements, these commands are for Christians. Most of this book is not evangelistic in the sense that it lays out this thick gospel to understand. So if we're quoting 1 Corinthians to someone who's in the world, Paul even says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. He says, listen, and I'm not saying that you push these things on the world. They're doing what they're supposed to do. I'm talking about the church people. But we quote it on 1 Corinthians 5.9. What do we say? We say, well, I'm not supposed to associate with those who are fornicators. And we miss verse 10 that says, and by the way, I'm not saying you push this on the world. I'm pushing it on the church because you are different because of me. We have to realize that's what the context is here. It's for Christians. And so my assumption is that I give you most of us are that way, which is awesome. But if you're not, I want to share the gospel through all this also. So let's keep reading. I want to finish a couple verses and then we'll close. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given to you by Christ Jesus. I'll pause there in verse 4. I want to say this to every one of you here. I am overwhelmed with joy when I watch you guys grow. When I watch you guys just like running out of paper and your pen stop working because you're writing notes because God's speaking to you. Thank you for caring enough to grow close to God. It's phenomenal. The times I've had to pray with you guys this week or talk to you this week or in the past few weeks and hear what God is saying to you and the emails you send that say, you know, this is awesome what God's doing to me, not ego stroking at all. I am so happy to watch you guys grow. I love it. Keep letting God work on you. Keep letting him speak to you. And if you get confused or frustrated, there's many people here that are willing to talk with you and mentor you and talk, and, and talk through issues and such. Because that's what Paul's writing here. He's saying, listen, I'm so excited about watching the grace of God work in your life. As am I here for watching you guys at Rise. Verse 5 says that, that, that you are enriched in everything by him and everything you say and everything you know. He says just the way you talk in your life and the things that you know now, I can tell God is the one infiltrating your mind. And he's changing you. And what you say and what you know, they're different now, he says. And I'm encouraged by that. Next, he continues on in verse 6, and he says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. He says, all around you, you can see that Christ is working. Not only is it in you, not only are you talking about it, but it's evidenced by stepping out, and I still see Jesus working. It's phenomenal. So he, he starts off this letter. It's like, wow, this is really a work of God happening here. He's confirming that they are really Christians, that they're really being spoken to by the Spirit. Then he says this, and I love this verse too. So that you come short in no gift. You guys are all so gifted, he says. You have so much impact. You have so many ways that God's working in you and speaking through you. You have these talents and these things that are going on in your life. But here's, here's the key that he says that I think drew a difference. And it's tempting for us, especially in a comfortable place, in a comfortable life, is he says a word here that doesn't match what I see in the American church. He says that they're eagerly waiting. Eagerly waiting. That doesn't make sense. Eagerly waiting. Actually, yes, it does, Pastor. That's what I'm doing right now because it's almost 12.15. What you feel right now, okay? What you feel right now 
is what we should feel in our spiritual walk with Jesus in this life. Is that we should remember, I'm waiting for something, I'm waiting for God, I'm waiting for him to be here, I need to have that in my focus, but I'm not going to be lazy while I'm doing it. First Thessalonians says what? That I came and I wrote to you to warn the idol, Timothy. Warn the idol, guys. And maybe that's for some of us today. That we're not engaged in where God has to be engaged. He says, you're gifted, and I know many of you here have even seen your gifts, and I praise God for your eagerness in that. But if you have a gift and you're not using it, trust me, we'll find a way. There are some phenomenal things that can happen when we give that over to God and we eagerly go after things for him and with him. Verse 8 says this, who, in this case Christ, will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding Corinth, stick with me here on this, okay? Verse 8, understanding Corinth, this verse doesn't have as much impact. It feels churchy and Christian. It's like, yeah, he's going to confirm my faith. He's going to help me stay firm and everything. And he's going to make me feel secure in my Christianity and everything. Okay, that's great. That's like being handed an empty mug and saying, you drink up. What makes this powerful is understanding that Corinth was a place where you lived and died by your name and your effort. You would come there as a nobody, and you would have to fight to make a name for yourself and be very rich because of it. But he says to the Corinthians, guys, your unity needs to be in Christ, and your definition for your life and value needs to be in Christ. And he will confirm it. He is faithful. He will finish it out. And he continues that in verse 9. What does he say? God is faithful. He's going to do that for you. He's going to confirm it for you. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. Not just fellowship of, we're going to enjoy a cup of coffee together. I love that fellowship, by the way. But the fellowship he's talking here is that the masks are off, the accountability is there, and true love without condition is being exchanged. Real Christian fellowship. Where we call sin, sin, and we help each other get out of it. We're solutions-oriented, not problem-oriented. We're real and not fake. We weep instead of saying it's okay. That's the fellowship he's talking about here. That's the unity he's calling for us to have. And I love how he continues. Because he says here in verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren. And the tone begins to change. He changes the tone because he's, he's attacking this issue where they were thinking they would make themselves strong. And here's, what, here's, here's something I want to challenge for all of us, to stop defensive or offensive living. A living that says, I need to look out for me. I need to look out for my friend. I need to look out for my spouse. I need to look out for my business. I need to look out for all these things. I need to make sure. And, and, and some of us have a personality where we'll just be quiet and, and, and fight in our minds. Some of us have a personality where we're going to have to sit there and we will berate you with the details until you say, I agree, fine, I'll do it your way. You guys are like, well, isn't that what you're doing right now, Pastor Hypocrite? We get insecure and fearful. So what if the person's 100% wrong in what they said? That doesn't change that God's the one who defines you. We have to remember that. Well, well, well Joe, I, I, I would rather punch myself in the face 100 times than deal with this person or this job situation or this relationship that I'm stuck in or whatever it is. Our value and our definition does not come as Christians from our success in interpersonal relationships. And that was a big problem that Paul then gets into when he says, now I plead with you, brethren. I, I literally, Paul's saying this, guys, guys, listen, please. He's down low, eye level. He was a short guy anyway, so he didn't have to kneel probably. But he's down here and was like, guys, please. I'm sorry, man. Please. Please. Listen to me, he says. And he uses the word brethren, not because he's religious, but because he's doing an identifying statement. We are the same here. Listen, we're Christians. Listen to what I'm going to say. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's when you're like, okay, I need to have a cup on for this one. 
that you all speak the same thing and that there's no divisions or schisms or dissensions or splits among you, that you would be perfectly or completely joined together in the same mind and the same judgment, meaning the same outcomes. He says, someone came and told me, verse 11, someone came and told me, you guys can't get along. You guys have Jesus. How could you not get along? Paul's looking at this going, you guys are so stuck making a name for yourself that you're fighting against your own brothers and sisters. Man, and we see it, don't we? We can look right now at our own past or at at churches that we've looked at or people that claim to be Christians, and we see this horrific just face-smashing that we do in the Christian world. And he says, guys, we've got to stop this. He then continues on. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Presbyterian, I am this person, I am that person, I am, I am, I got to rise chapel because we really love Jesus, not like you guys. And then he says this, did Jesus die to create Christianity? Did he die to create denominations? Did he die to create clubs? What's the answer, guys? Let me hear it. No. No, that's not what he died for. He's, he says this right here. He says, he says, is Christ divided? Does Christ go, well, I'm going to hang out over here with these people, and I'm going to hang with these people, and we're all going to be separate but the same? No. No, it's not going to be the case. Jesus didn't die so that we could have our own personal purposes met. So we could create fences and make ourselves valuable. You'll see a point up there. We can make these these walls that, that somehow make us valuable. Jesus died for his purposes and his purposes alone. Now, the beauty of it being our creator is that he had our best interests in mind also. It's phenomenal. And Paul is speaking here. And then I love it. I, I love Paul. He never, never pulls any punches. And he stops. And he's, verse 14, he goes, hey, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you. Okay? I'm so glad I'm not even there for someone to be going, oh, yeah? Well, you say you're of Paul, and I was baptized by him. And we do that, don't we? We do that. We do that way. I mean, we find all kinds of ways as Christians today. We'll do it. I, I had a conversation with a pastor that lives in Anchorage, and they were over for dinner this week, and we were talking about Bible translations, and he said he had someone ripping on him because he wasn't using the right translation. And he said, well, I don't read Koine Greek, and I don't read ancient Hebrew, so I have to read one that I understand in English. And I just wanted to high-five his hand till it bled. It was so awesome to hear that. Not because not I wanted to hurt him, because I was excited. Here's what I want to challenge us with. Let's read these last few verses, and then I'm going to close with three points. He says this, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. I mean, you guys are already messing up Jesus. Yes, okay, fine. I baptized the household of Stephanus. But besides, I don't know anybody else that I baptized, he says. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize to create systems and physical activities, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, not with being Captain Fancy Pants, lest the cross be made of no effect. He says that it wasn't about creating a system and a group and a club that creates this flashy emotional engagement, but it was about getting the gospel out and in the most effective way possible. That's what his call was. So here's what I want to challenge us to. You'll see number one up on the screen. There's, there's a, a problem that has happened in since the beginning of the Christian church, and it still happens today, that I want to challenge us to, individually as Christians, forget, forget where we're at physically. Listen to this as God challenging us from what we wrote here in Scripture. And here's number one. Number one, I want to challenge every single one of us. If you don't have this, take a picture of this on your phone, whatever it is, if you're not taking notes. Number one, pray for God to clean out the us versus them thoughts. Whatever it is, if it's rise versus others, if it's non-denomination versus denomination, if it's charismatic versus non-charismatic, if it's, well, they don't do this, so I don't like them kind of thing, pray for God to clean that out of us because the gospel is hindered if we're fighting for our own and not his own.
Does it make sense? Here's the next one. Remember, pray for God to clean out the us versus them thoughts. Number two, pray for conviction when we fight for our own recognition instead of God's. Think of that. Those are, those are a lot of chances we have every day to ensure that that person realizes how special I am, how important I am. Well, well, actually, you know, this, this guy at work took my credit. So, God knows. Yeah, but I, 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 I might not keep my job because of that. You're right. God's not big enough to keep you employed because you've done it all on your own. That's me. Several years ago, I had that discussion with God, and he had to straighten me out. I was overwhelmed with this credit that was being stolen from me. Overwhelmed for four years. After four years, not only did I move out from where I was, but I got promoted two levels and a 20% raise and moved into managing teams. By the end of three years, had a budget of $10 million and hundreds of millions of dollars of new business coming in because of my own effort. No. Because God had, it took me four years to wake up, which is pathetic, but it took four years for me to finally stop trying to get my own credit. Now, hopefully with number two, you guys don't have to be as dumb as I was. This is a verse I want us to think about. You'll see it next up there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that we should not look out for our own interests. Instead, we should look out for the interests of others. Not look out for what's going to make us happy and comfortable. Because honestly, we're good at it. We are. We're very good at looking out for our own. In fact, I don't think ever you'd, have to, you'd ever have to write out there, hey, and oh, by the way, make sure you make yourself happy. That's what we exist to do. That's, what we, that's how we operate in our lives. The world is here to remind us for it if we ever forget, by the way. It is. Here's the third one I want to challenge us with. And this is one. This is one that I have work to do on personally. And I'm sure many of us will. Go now, today, and fix any divisions you know of. Anything that, that you or I have allowed to split a brother and sister, a brother and brother, a sister and sister, whatever it is. It could be an email, although I would recommend a phone call. And even before that, I'd recommend in person. But if you can't do one, go to the next or the next. It's so important to get rid of that. Why do I say that? Well, (laughs) let's read this scripture together. You'll have to skip by one slide. And you guys can put your notes in your Bible away. You'll see it up here. I gave up on my pointer. Yeah, we'll go to the verse. Oh, I got to go all the way up to the beginning of it, but sorry. It's right after that point when we have divisions in his body. Keep going. There we go. He says this. This is how you want to conduct yourself in these matters. What are these matters? It's actually going and worshiping God and being alongside and close to him. So next you'll see Jesus speaking. He says, if you enter your place of worship, and you're about to make an offering, and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend, and make things right. Now, I love how Scripture gives us other areas to do this and how to keep peace and how to deal with them, and there's homework on here. And then I love the closing. It says, then and only then come back to work things out with God. There's a lot of things in our life that we hold on to. Someone has something against us. We've got an argument with someone or whatever it is. We, when we're holding on to our rights, if you could go to that point that was before this, I had it out of order. When we're holding on to our rights and our purposes and our preferences and our desires, we create divisions in his body. And we can't grow closer to him if we're crushing his body. We need to take that time to, to get rid of that division in us. Why do you say that, Joe? I thought it was always about you got to get close to God and then he'll fix all your problems for you. Well, if we're a Christian and we're in his body, 
and we're holding on to our own, which is causing divisions, we're not holding on to His will. So we go and we let go of the problems that we have with the others. We're pulling a Romans 12 and we're going, you know what? I'm giving it up. And then go to God without anything there. Well, what if the person doesn't want to resolve? You have to go and try. You have to. Well, I've already tried before, Joe. If it's on your heart, pray about it and go do it. Let God free you of this. Let's bow our heads. Because there's a context here in, in the book that I want to be really, really specific with, and that is that the work that God wants to do in our life, it's, it's for the Christians. And here's my challenge. There's two questions I want to ask as we close. I'm going to make it really quick. Here's the questions I want to ask. Number one, if you're not a Christian, if you're not someone who has said, I submit to God and I need to be forgiven, I want to get rid of this guilt, then I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray, and this isn't something where it's like, you know what, I feel like I, I need to come back to God. This is separate. I want this to be very specific. If you do not and you have not, maybe it's just played church the whole life. I remember a friend of mine telling me when his pastor got saved, it was the most awkward Sunday ever. This morning, if you want to pray and truly have a relationship, raise your hand this morning. I'd love to pray with you. Anyone out there? Here's the second thing. God's exposed one of two things. Either we're away, away from him and we've been fighting for our own, we've been working out our salvation on our own, or we've caused disunity or discord or some sort of division, and God's saying, listen, I want you to be close to my body, not separating it. Raise your hand this morning. I'd love to pray with you. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. 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 Here's what I want to pray. You don't even have to pray it out loud unless you want to, which is awesome with me. But mean it from your heart. And here's what we're going to pray together. God, please forgive me. I've made my things more important than your things. I've hurt one of your kids. I've separated myself. And I do it my way. Please forgive me, God. I want to be close to you. I want to be close to your people. I want to hear your voice and not mine. Please speak to me, God. Help me to love others with your love. Thank you for Jesus and doing this work inside my life. Amen. Amen.